From the studios of EWTN, this is Open Line with today's host, Father Wade Menezes. In North America, call toll-free 1-833-288-EWTN. That's 1-833-288-3986. Outside North America, call 1-205-271-2985 or send an email to openline at EWTN.com. Tremendous Tuesday to each and every one of you. Thanks so much for tuning in to EWTN's Open Line Tuesday. We talk faith, family, and fellowship with Father Wade Menezes on Tuesdays. So pick up the phone and give us a call. That number is 833-288-EWTN. And it's a free phone call anywhere in North America. 833-288-3986. If you're outside the United States and Canada, that number is one two zero five two seven one two nine eight five and we'll even put you straight to the front of the line at one two zero five two seven one two nine eight five uh and you can always send us an email open line at ewtn.com that's open line at ewtn.com I'm Jack Williams, Michael McCall, producing the program. Your call screener is Matt Gubensky and Jeff Burson handling our social media efforts. So if you're watching us on YouTube or Facebook Live, you can type a question into the chat window and it may find its way to us by the end of the program. And our host is he is every Tuesday, Father Wade Menezes. How are you? I'm doing great, Jack. Good to be with you and the team again this Tuesday. And uh, Good to be we with are you, progressing. Father Wade. And i got, I got to be honest with you. Uh, What's I'm, I'm not feeling it today. Uh, I, I don't know if we're good enough to really do this show. Um, I'm just, I'm, I'm just not confident that we can pull this off today. Are, are you being negative as opposed to positive? Is that what you're doing? Well, maybe. <laughs> well, I'm progressing through this third week of Easter and feeling quite positive because of it. And so our springboard today, as you're intimating secretly there, I think, for all the negative things we have to say to ourselves... God has a positive answer for it right there in sacred scripture. How about that, huh? And I'm going to give some examples from our great nation's former presidents, four different examples where hopefully we'll, we'll get this across here, this great message, especially as we travel, as I said, through this beautiful Easter season, heading towards the 40th day after Easter Ascension and the 50th day, 10 days after that, Pentecost Sunday, huh? So for all the negative things we have to say to ourselves, God has a positive answer for it. You say it's impossible. God says all things are possible. Luke 18, 27. You say, I'm too tired. God says, I will give you rest. Matthew eleven twenty eight. You say, nobody really cares. Nobody really loves me. God says, I love you. John three sixteen and John thirteen thirty four. You say, I can't go on. God says, my grace is sufficient for you. 2 Corinthians 12, 9. You say, I can't figure things out. God says, I will direct your steps. Proverbs 3, 6. You say, I can't do it. God says, you can do all things. Philippians 4, 13. You say, it's not worth it. God says, oh, it will be worth it. Romans 8, 28. You say, I can't forgive myself. God says, I forgive you. 1 John 1, 9 and Romans 8, 1. You say, I can't manage. But God says, I will supply all your needs. Philippians four nineteen. You say, I'm afraid. 
God says, but I have not given you a spirit of fear. 2 Timothy 1.7. You say, I'm always worried and frustrated. God says, cast all your cares upon me. 1 Peter 5.7. You say, I don't have enough faith. God says, but I have given everyone a measure of faith. Romans 12.3. You say, I'm not smart enough. God says, I will give you wisdom. 1 Corinthians 1.30. And you say, I feel all alone. And God says, I will never forsake you or abandon you. Hebrews 13.5. Now that's just a sampling, huh? Of about 13 or 14 different passages. For all the negative things we have to say to ourselves, God in his wonderful sacred scripture has a positive answer for it. I'm hoping that we'll get some witness calls today, Jack, where our callers can witness, and in a short way, no need to go into great depth or detail about the story per se, but just a, a little synopsis of one time where you thought things were not going the way you thought they should be going, and lo and behold, within a certain amount of time, whether short on the calendar or long on the calendar, Within a certain amount of time, you could see everything so clearly that things did turn out after all. Not according to your plan, but according to God's plan. Listen to this. If at first you don't succeed, Abraham Lincoln's first business as owner of a dry goods store was a complete flop. He was later appointed postmaster in his township and had the worst efficiency record in the entire county. He is the 16th president of the United States, 1861 to 1865. Franklin D. Roosevelt began his career in public service after flunking out of Columbia Law School. He then decided to run for governor of New York. He won. He's the 32nd president of the United States, 1933 to 1945. Harry S. Truman opened up a hat and shirt shop at age 35 that went bankrupt after just two years. Truman worked 15 years after that to pay off the debt. He's the 33rd president of the United States, 1945 to 1953. And Dwight D. Eisenhower was rejected three times for command positions before being appointed Supreme Allied Commander in 1942 at the beginning of the Second World War. He's the 34th president of the United States, 1953 to 1961. Our ways are not God's ways. God's ways are not our ways. I think this is a big message component of faith, family, and fellowship. Whether it's a relationship issue, whether it's an employment issue, whether it's a faith issue. Again, faith, family, or fellowship, huh? Sometimes we have a plan that we want to go a very, very specific and certain way. And then it turns out otherwise, and we just can't see why it did so. Except after a certain amount of time, we can finally begin to see the light, why things turned out the way they did. This is why we pray God's will be done. You know, I t I've talked about, Jack, on, on Open Line Tuesday, the nine great gifts of the body-soul composite, sight, smell, taste, touch, and hearing. And for the soul, the intellect, will, memory, and imagination. These nine great gifts, the five bodily senses and the four primary faculties of the soul— these nine great gifts of the body-soul composite of the human person, and to be able to consecrate all nine daily to our triune Godhead, 
let him begin to work miracles in your life. And that includes the will, because our wills can be very, very stubborn. Huh? Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. All those words, forwards and backwards of the Our Father, the Paternoster, we need to really, truly, sincerely live them. And a big part of that is giving our wills over to God. And be diligent students of the faith. This is what our baptism and confirmation calls us to do. Do what you're supposed to do when you're supposed to do it in the way it's supposed to be done. The virtue of diligence, right? But at the same time, make him your master. That's what we got to do. So again, I want to invite our callers today on Open Line Tuesday Live this hour for all the negative things you have to say about yourself. God has a positive answer for it. We have four great examples of our former nation's presidents where things turned out pretty good for them, despite some earlier things not going too well. How about you? No need to give a long story. Just give a little synopsis of what you thought your vision was and how God turned it all around for you. Amen to that. You know, so by please. the way, when you were reading the uh, negatives and positives, uh, mm-hmm. when you said uh, that we say we don't have enough faith, you know, it, it's and it's you know, and, and Scripture says that God has given each one of us a, a measure of faith. That's right. But just by virtue of Him giving us that gift, does not mean it goes into action by itself, right? That's right. This is why Saint Augustine says, "Without God, I can't. But without me, God won't." Huh? And again, he says, I think it's number 1847 in the Catechism, I've quoted it here before too, I believe, the God who willed to create you without you does not will to save you without you. Huh? He wants us to be an active cooperator with him in the life of grace. And I think that's an important truth of our Catholic faith. He, he, we're not Calvinists. We don't believe God does it all. We believe he's the primary mover, capital P, capital M, no doubt about that. We believe that grace is always his gratuitous gift, no doubt about that. But he's given us, again, an intellect, a will to know him, to love him, and serve him in this life so as to be forever happy with him in the next, as the beautiful wording of the Baltimore Catechism teaches us so, so well. Jack, that's our generation, I think. So... Uh, it is an important part of, of our Catholic Christian faith, of, of understanding and loving uh, our cooperation with God as our primary mover. 833-288-EWTN. That's our toll-free number. It's a free phone call anywhere in North America. A couple of open lines for you at 833-288-3986. It's Open Line Tuesday with Father Wade Menezes. This is Open Line on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. If you have a question, call 1-833-288-EWTN. That's 1-833-288-3986. Outside North America, call 1-205-271-2985. Or send us an email to openline at EWTN.com. 833-288-EWTN, that's our toll-free number. You know, we're all very busy, and oftentimes we can't maybe, because of our responsibilities, can't get to uh, Daily Mass. EWTN offers the Daily Mass uh, on television each and every day. But even sometimes it's hard for us to, to corral some time to even watch that on TV. But we've got another solution. We can actually send the Mass directly to your email inbox every day. 
simply log on to EWTN.com and click on subscribe. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number, 833-288-3986. First up today is Bill, driving through the great state of Minnesota, listening on Real Presence Radio. Bill, you are on with Father Wade. Good afternoon, Father Wade. Hello, Bill. Thank you for your call. Thank you. My question has to do with symbolism. I have a cousin who's um, a Protestant, and she's also, right now, um, often talks about uh, the symbolism of um, the great battle between God and Satan that's that's going on at this time, and how um, the symbolisms of Satan, be it the triangle or the all-seeing eye, well, that's kind of leading up to the question. So she says, she calls me up and says, I was at a, uh, we went down to a funeral in Missouri, and and she says it was the most beautiful church I'd ever seen. It was a Catholic church, okay? And um, she says, but almost in a aha, like I discovered some evil in the church, there's this, the all-seeing eye is painted right over the altar with these lines out. And I said, that's... <sighs> No, at no point in a Catholic church would there be symbolism for Satan. Yeah, uh, I would have to research that to tell you what it is. So I ask you, sir, to explain that. Yeah, it's it's a very easy symbol to explain. Uh, it, it's it's found especially at the turn of the century and in, in the immigrant churches that were built here uh, with the immigrants in Europe. It's a symbol that depicts an eye, often enclosed in a triangle, which is very often the shape depicting. Uh, uh, belief in the three divine persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, three even sides of a triangle, because it's, it's, it's three divine persons in one God, one God and three divine, divine persons. So she's referring, I presume, to a symbol that depicts a, a human eye, often enclosed in a triangle and surrounded by rays of light or glory, meant to represent divine providence, whereby the eye of God uh, watches, watches over all of humanity. Huh? Uh, so simply put, contrary to what many people think, like your sister, I think you said who this was. Uh, contrary to what many people think, the all-seeing eye is a Christian art symbol that's not demonic, it's not Masonic, but but it represents the all-seeing God of the the all-seeing eye of the omnipotent, all-powerful God who sees all things, good and evil. And when surrounded by a triangle, again, it it symbolizes the Trinity. Um, you know, Psalm thirty-three, eighteen. Chapter 33, verse 18 of the psalm says, But the eyes of the Lord are on those who fear him, on those whose hope is in his unfailing love. So that's, that's the best I could say. It's pretty easy to find uh, the history of the, of the human eye and the triangle in churches and what that means. Thank you so much for a great call. God bless you. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. Mary is in southern Missouri listening to us today on iHeartRadio. Mary, welcome to the program. You're on with Father Wade. Thank you. Um, it's a really a blessing to be able to talk to you, Father Wade. Thank you, Mary. Um, I, I uh, recently went to a meeting in our very, very small, small parish that I live, I, I go to down here in southern Missouri uh, for the Synod on Synodality. And there were about a group of about a dozen women. That's all that went. And all it was was a bunch of complaining and whining. Yeah. And a lot of it had to do, they were complaining and whining about annulments and all the rules and homosexuality and rules and et cetera, et cetera. And I was just scandalized. And I did defend the church, I'm happy to say. And I said, we're not here to change church teaching. Um, I 
I suggested that we spend more time in prayer and have more adoration time. My question for you is, however, a couple days later, I went to visit with my priest. And I told him I was completely scandalized by what was going on and what was happening and what those women were talking about. And I said, you know, we've got people that are openly saying that they're um, living in a, a marriage that's not valid. And they're receiving communion. I said, how can that be? I said, Father, I said, um, they cannot receive communion. And he said, I cannot deny anyone communion. And Father Wade, I know that's not true, because I had a priest tell me uh, uh, years ago, when I was in kind of a similar situation, you know, to me, I had no one but to, uh, to blame but myself. And these people have no one to blame but themselves. God put them in this position. They- yeah. So, so the guide here by the Church is very, very simple. First of all, uh, as far as wording goes, it is true we don't want to deny communion to anybody, but we certainly have to defer it in certain situations. And what are those situations? It's when a uh, public sinner—in other words, people know about their sin, other people know about their sin— are receiving publicly Holy Communion. A public sinner receiving publicly can be deferred Holy Communion. We never want to deny communion, but we have a right to defer it, according to Scripture, tradition, and the magisterium, especially Scripture and and what St. Paul tells us uh, in 1 Corinthians. So um, my goal is to let the person know, look, I have to defer your communion And I want you to understand, I'm not denying it to you. In fact, quite the opposite. I very much want to give it to you, but I can't because of your own willful living of this way or whatever it is, or or your your public um, statement of this. Uh, It's now publicly known. So a public sinner receiving publicly can be deferred communion, and, and that deference hopefully means they would convert revert, I should say, and so the de- the deferral is done as something medicinal to bring them back, okay? Now, a private sinner, where nobody knows about their sin, uh, receiving publicly, let, let's say a cohabitating couple move to a new city, and they begin going to a new parish church. Well, nobody knows them. They're going up to present themselves to Holy Communion. Nobody knows that they're cohabitating, their, their, their sin is private. So if the priest knows, however, they're cohabitating, and all of a sudden at the communion line, he deferred their communion, and people around wouldn't know why, then that would be wrong. The, the priest instead should say, I, I, I want to talk to you after Mass, and explain to them how they should not be presenting themselves to Holy Communion. So this is a, a very basic, time-honored, traditional teaching for clerical training in the Catholic Church. A public sinner receiving publicly can be deferred communion. Their communion can be deferred. Uh, A private sinner receiving publicly, it's hard to defer on the spot, but you can surely let them know that you want to talk to them ASAP to make it clear to them that they should not be presenting themselves for communion. Okay? Pray for priests, that priests have the courage uh, to do what it is they're supposed to do. And you sound like the kind of Catholic Christian who, who does do that and who wants, who wants to do that to support her priests. Thank you so much for a great series of questions. God bless you. 
Next stop, the Republic of Texas. Vanessa is in Corpus Christi, a first-time caller listening on Sirius XM Channel 130. Vanessa, you're on with Father Wade. Hi. Uh, good afternoon. Uh, well, at the beginning of the show, you said about negative things and then positive things happen because God uh, is in charge, right? So yeah. I just wanted to give you uh, my experience. Wonderful. Showing that what you just what you just said is totally true. My mom, I'm from uh, Mexico, and my mom tried to sell her house for 16 years, 16 years, and the house will not sell. So uh, my mom was diagnosed with ALS, and one month after she was diagnosed with ALS, she was she sold the house which is what perfect timing because ALS, they need 24-7 care with nurses and uh, medicines and treatments and everything. And without the money, my brother and, and I will have not been able to pay for all that. My mother passed away uh, a year after the, the diagnosis, but it was perfect, the timing that God made us sell the house because we will have not be able to take care of our mom. So that's it. Glory of God. Yeah, there you go. I, again, things that may not be unfurling going our way, the way we want them to go, the way we intend them to go, the way we hope they will go at the time, and we may not understand why. Uh, or maybe we have a profound faith and we understand why, and we just continue to trust uh, that God's doing and moving here how he needs to be moving in my life. And after a certain amount of time, um, we can finally see the picture for what it was and how and for what it is and how things ended up working out for a betterment rather than a detriment for this good as opposed to this bad. Huh? Uh, and, and that's a that's a great uh, uh, vision to have, I think, precisely as a Christian. Not, not that we don't do our part. We have to continue doing our part in our daily lived experience. The husband and father being the best husband and father he can be. The wife and mother, the, the priest, whether religious or diocesan uh, priest, uh, the, the nun, active or contemplative, the single person attending university, being faithful. I'm not saying to, to, to be lackadaisical, to be um, uh, dormant and just have that kind of trust in God where he does absolutely everything. No, without God, I can't. With, without me, God won't. And so uh, we have to do our part. And at, while we're doing our part, we want to make sure that we have the vision the appropriate vision that the Our Father teaches us, and at the same time, the great gift of the body-soul compositeness of the human person, the five bodily senses, the four faculties of the soul, especially the four faculties of the soul, and especially the will, giving all over to God. Um, you know, there's a, a prayer of consecration to the Sacred Heart that I have as a blog at fathersofmercy.com. If our listeners Jack, just want to click on the magnifying glass icon at the upper right of the page. When they go to fathersofmercy.com, a search bar appears in the middle of the screen. Just type in the consecration to the Sacred Heart, and it comes up right away as a PDF document ready to print. And in that particular consecration, which I've written uh, with the approval of my superior general, um, and, and disperse at all the parish missions I give as a handout, um, I mention the five bodily senses and the four faculties of the soul to consecrate all nine of these beautiful gifts uh, to the most sacred heart of Jesus, uh, to the Blessed Trinity, the Father and the Holy Spirit as well, but in a special way in the loving heart of our Lord. 
Um, and, and I think this is a great message, especially as we progress throughout the Easter season. Uh, despite the situation of the world, we have reason as Christians to be joyful, to be solid, to be orthodox, to want to give the truth unabashedly so, uh, to be faithful and, and, and joyful at the same time. Great message for everybody. Thank you for your call. 833-288-EWTN. That's our toll-free number. It's a free phone call anywhere in the United States and Canada. 833-288-3986. It's Open Line Tuesday with Father Wade Menezes. This is Open Line on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. 833-288-3986. That's 833-288-EWTN. That's your ticket to the program. A couple of open lines for you and plenty of time for your phone calls at 833-288-3986. Next up is Michael in Spokane, Washington, listening on Sacred Heart Radio. Michael, thanks so much for holding. You're on with Father Wade. Oh, thank you both, and happy Easter season to both of you. Um, you know, time heals. Um, the Holy Spirit is with us. God is with us. We just have to Amen. forgive ourselves. But I would like to discuss the sin of omission. Mm. Um, and since 1973, as you know, there have been over 63 million abortions in America. 63 million unborn children lost ended. So we need to call our representatives in the House and the Senate write to newspapers, write tele- call television, stand in front of Planned Parenthood buildings peacefully. You know, to remain on silent and pro-life, I think, is morally wrong. Yeah. And we all face God, and we all face the unborn children, and hopefully they'll both welcome us. You bring up every excellent point uh, that you just stated. is It's spot on and right on. You know, um, this this would constitute a sin of omission, that which we should do but don't. Uh, it's a willful neglect or a positive refusal, uh, wittingly or unwittingly, uh, say out of fear uh, or, or just a, a lackadaisical um, a- approach to life. Uh, it's a willful neglect or positive refusal, wittingly or unwittingly, to perform some good action that one's conscience urges one to do, and and such omission is morally culpable, the Church has always taught, and its gravity, however, depends on the importance of what should have been done. And, you know, with with the modern means that we have today of of contacting our elected representatives through email and through other uh, websites like Catholic Vote, which makes it very easy for a person to to sign a uh, petition, for example, uh, there really is no excuse. Um, again, the gravity depends on the importance of what should have been done on the person's own willfulness and the circumstances of the situation. But those are general norms and principles that the Church sets before us. And again, with modern means of technology today, it is very, very easy to be able to contact, using the particular examples you used, uh, to help to help uh, uh, fight abortion and, and support the unborn. It is very easy to let our views be known to our elected Representative. So thank you so much for a great point and, and a great question on what exactly constitutes a sin of omission. Thank you so much. 
833-288-EWTN. Grab that open phone line at 833-288-3986. Next up is Lisa in Cleveland, Ohio, a first-time caller. Lisa, thank you so much for being so patient. Welcome to the program. No problem. Thank you for having me. What can we do for you today? My question revolves around my husband and a sort of crisis of faith that he's having where he's very focused on the end times and especially his salvation and the salvation of the world. You know, he says almost nobody is getting to heaven. How do I know I'm going to heaven? He's very, very focused on this. And I was wondering what sort of positive scripture passages or what I can show him. Lisa, I don't, watching, I don't know if you're watching uh, our Facebook live feed or the YouTube live feed. I know our Facebook live was down a little bit earlier, but I think it's up now. But So both visual uh, live feeds are going now, both Facebook and, and YouTube. But um, I'm holding up uh, my book, The Four Last Things, A Catechetical Guide to Death, Judgment, Heaven, and Hell. Um, I, I want you to, to maybe suggest that book to him. I, I'd like to actually quote... Johnette Williams, Jack's wife, she was one of the endorsers for the book, and I loved what all four of my endorsers said, but in a special way, Johnette hit the nail on the head of what I hope this book would do, The Four Last Things, A Catechetical Guide to Death, Judgment, Heaven, and Hell. Four last things, three of which will apply to each one of us personally, huh? Uh, Death, judgment, heaven, or hell. Uh, So four last things, but three which apply to each one of us. Uh, And Johnette wrote this as part of uh, the endorsement. Uh, She wrote this. This is the excerpt from the fuller endorsement that she wrote. It says, This book filled me with hope and joyful anticipation of what is to come. May it do the same for you. And my thesis of this little five-chapter book on a doctrine that is absolutely forgotten in the post-Vatican II Church. Not to blame Vatican II. Vatican II is solid as a rock. But rather to blame progressive liberal forces within the Church that took the Vatican II ball and ran in the wrong direction with it. And we've suffered 55 years plus because of it. We have lost the vision of the Church's time-honored, unchanged doctrine of her eschatology, meaning the study of the last things, from the Greek word eschaton, or eschaton, meaning the last. You know, we talk about the Church's Mariology, it's the study of the Blessed Virgin Mary, such doctrines as the Assumption and the Immaculate Conception. Uh, we talk about the Church's Sacramentology, it's, uh, it's the study of the seven sacraments. Uh, we talk about the, the Church's Christology, the study of Christ, uh, the, the God-man Jesus Christ as a divine person with, with, two hum- with two natures, human and divine, what's called the doctrine of the hypostatic union. So that constitutes our Christology. When we talk about the Church's eschatology, we mean the study of the four last things, death, judgment, heaven, and hell, three of which will apply to each one of us. Well, again, Johnette Williams hit the nail on the head. This is what I hope this book would have done for people, and I believe it has. I've been very, very edified by its popularity. I've been very, very edified that it's been used as a book of the month club in many, many parishes, for example, for a men's group that meets every Wednesday morning before the workday begins, that they meet at 6 or 6.30 with coffee and donuts in the parish hall, the men do, and then before they go off to work, they, they cover a chapter, and it's a five-week a five week, uh, book program. I've been very, very edified by, by its use in such ways, and uh, it, it is the forgotten doctrine, and we are not meant to live in, 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 a, in a type of morose or macabre way when it comes to the reality of the Church's eschatology. Uh, we're not going to be very effective uh, apostles in that regard. 
Um, and, and I talk about this very thing in the book, how we are called to live eternity-minded. Huh? We need to live in such a way that we are eternity-minded, but with joyful anticipation of what is to come, as Johnette says so wonderfully in that short excerpt uh, of her endorsement for the book. There's only one thing that sends a person to hell by their own doing, because God sends no one to hell. If, if there's a soul in hell, it's because of their own doing. What is that one thing? It's purposeful, unrepentant, mortal sin. As long as you have no purposeful, unrepentant, mortal sin, you have the virtue of hope, one of the great three theological virtues, along with faith and love or, or faith and charity that we pray for at the beginning of each rosary for an increase in the three theological virtues of faith, hope, and charity, you have the virtue of hope that you are on the road to salvation, working with God's grace, which is always his gratuitous gift, working with him as an active cooperator in bringing yourself to becoming a great, great saint. That's the message to give to your husband. Things like monthly confession, weekly Eucharist, holy days of obligation, sacred scripture reading, Lexio Divina, that's an important one, uh, the lives of the saints, being involved at your parish, uh, uh, holy family life, holy marriages. Um, th these are the things that put us on the road to salvation with confidence, confide, with faith, huh? that Latin root breakdown of the word confidence, uh, confide, with faith, puts us on the road to, to salvation with faith, always by God working as the primary mover, no doubt, capital P, capital M, but with we as real active cooperators with him, working to want to put ourselves on the road to salvation, cooperating with his grace, which is always his gratuitous gift. This is the message for your husband. If you haven't gotten him the four last things, I would like to recommend that you do. Uh, it's available from EWTNRC.com. So thank you so much for a great question. It sounds like you want to be a balancing factor uh, in his life of focusing a bit too much on the, the, the end of the world, the last things, the second coming, who's saved, who's not, am I saved, am I not saved? It sounds like you want to be a, a balancing factor in having a proper vision of eternity-mindedness in your husband's life, and I think that says a great message about you as his spouse, you as his bride. You're the church image in the marriage. He's the Christ figure in the marriage. Both of you need to uh, adopt, and it sounds like you're already there with that balance. You, both of you need to adopt those proper roles in a balanced way in your life. Christ never instilled fear in people. Christ gave people the truth, but he didn't despair himself, of course, nor did he instill a, 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 a morose, macabre fear. He gave people the truth. He called things what they were, but he didn't instill in people a, a macabre, morose uh, uh, fear to, to lead them to despair. Your husband is the Christ figure, the priest figure in the home, needs to develop uh, an attitude towards the, the church's eschatology, the last things regarding his own salvation, etc., that are balanced, how Christ would want them to be balanced. And you, uh, as the, the church figure, the heart figure of the home, the bride figure of the home, as, as the church is the bride of Christ, you too seek to be balanced as the church presents all of her teachings in a very balanced, beautiful way, according to sacred scripture and sacred tradition in the magisterium, safeguarded by the sacred deposit of faith. So, so God bless you in that endeavor, and God bless your husband in that endeavor. Again, the four last things, a catechetical guide to death, judgment, heaven, and hell. Thank you so much for a great question. One line open for you at 833-288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. Next up is Peter in San Antonio, Texas, listening on Guadalupe Radio. Peter, you're on with Father Wade. Hi, thank you for taking my call. Can you hear me? Yes, thank you. 
Uh, yes, I'll, I'll try to keep it brief. I kind of have a, a, a long question. Um, I recently got married, and uh, uh, my wife and her family, they're, they're part of the charismatic uh, renewal. And uh, I honestly didn't know much about the charismatic until I stumbled across a, a YouTube video, a couple of YouTube videos, more of the on the traditional side where they're not necessarily against it or, ba- or bashing it, but they're kind of just talking about how some people can fall into error without knowing it. And um, now that we're married, and, and um, I just don't know how to go about uh, maybe discerning some of the things, like them talking in tongues or them having visions or, or, or things like that. Okay, I've got also, a great... Uh, I'm sorry? I've got a great guide for you in all of this. It's called the Catechism of the Catholic Church, uh, beginning with numbers 767 and 768. Uh, you know, each paragraph in the Universal Catechism is numbered. Uh, it's, it's, it talks per se about the confirming of the gifts and charisms of the Holy Spirit upon her members. And again, uh, what, what are these biblical, biblical gifts and, and charisms? Are they, are they gifts per se? Or are they talents per se? How does the Catholic Church confirm the gifts and the charism of the Holy Spirit actively working in the people of God now and, and, and beyond, uh, between now and the second coming of Christ? So 767 says this, When the work which the Father gave the Son to do on earth was accomplished, the Holy Spirit was sent on the day of Pentecost in order that he might continually sanctify the Church. Then the church was openly displayed to the vast crowds and the spread of the gospel among the nations through preaching, and thus was begun the gifts of the Holy Spirit, each one according to their, able, their, their ability. As the convocation of all men for salvation, the church in her very nature is missionary, sent by Christ to all the nations to make disciples of all men. And that's so that she can fulfill this mission, number 768 tells us, the Holy Spirit bestows upon the church's members varied hierarchical and charismatic gifts, and this way directs her. Uh, So the church endowed with the gifts of her founder and faithfully observing his precepts of charity, humility, and self-denial receives the mission of proclaiming and establishing among the peoples of the world the kingdom of Christ and of God, and she is on earth the seed and the beginning of that kingdom. Uh, then there's a second section, so 767 and 768. Now, here we talk more about the, uh, the, the actual charisms, what they are, and this is in a different section, beginning with number 798 all the way through 801. 798 through 801. The Holy Spirit is the principle of every vital and truly saving action in each part of the whole body of which Christ is the head. He works in many ways to build up the body of charity by the special many graces called charisms by which he makes the faithful fit and ready to undertake uh, their various tasks and offices for renewing and building up the body of the church. So whether extraordinary or simple and humble, charisms are graces of the Holy Spirit which directly or indirectly benefit the church, ordered as they are to her building up, to the good of men, and to the needs of the world. But they should not go. Um, uh, they should not go non-supervised. This is why, for example, the church asks at the diocesan level that any charismatic movement have a chaplain who is a cleric. Okay, charisms are are to be accepted with gratitude. The church teaches by the person who receives them, and by all members of the church as well. They are a wonderfully rich grace for the apostolic vitality and for the holiness of the entire body of Christ. 
provided they really are genuine gifts of the Holy Spirit and are used in full conformity, we would say, with authentic promptings of the same Holy Spirit, that is, in keeping ultimately with charity and the true measure of all charisms. And so we need what's called the discernment of charisms, and this is number 801. It's always necessary, the Catechism teaches, this discernment of charisms. No charism is exempt from being referred and submitted to the Church's shepherds. Their office is not indeed to extinguish the Spirit, no, but to test all things, to test the Spirit, and hold fast to what is good, so that all the diverse and complementary charisms work together for the common good. And then lastly, I want to recommend to you a third section of the Catechism, beginning with number 2003 and ending with 2004 in regards to how grace works with all of this. God's grace, whether it be his sanctifying grace or whether it be his actual grace, how God's grace works with all of this. So hopefully your loved ones who are in the charismatic movement, they're in a group that has a cleric as an advisor, uh, as a chaplain to the group, where the gifts can be discerned. Uh, that's what's important here, and, and that cannot be lost sight of. Um, some, of the, some of the traditional gifts... Uh, uh, we have in, in Scripture, uh, well, first of all, the, the seven gifts of the Holy Spirit, wisdom, understanding, counsel, fortitude, knowledge, and, and piety, and fear of the Lord. Uh, traditionally speaking, counsel refers to right judgment. Uh, understanding refers to enlightenment, enlightenment of our minds and hearts to divine truths and how to convey those truths to others. Fortitude regards uh, three things primarily, according to the Catechism, courage, strength, and zeal to not only give the faith, but to defend it. Uh, knowledge is having a deep trust and sureness about the Lord and knowing the truths of Christian revelation and having an innate desire to share those with others. Uh, piety, one of the seven gifts of the Holy Spirit, also called love. Uh, in Romans 8.15, it's called the spirit of adoption. It produces in us a, a loving and, and worshipful consciousness of God that we want to give to others, and it leads us to, to the true image of the Father as Jesus revealed him to us in the Gospels. Uh, fear, of, fear of the Lord, I've always loved this one. It's always kind of been intriguing for me. Fear of the Lord is a, is a, is a filial fear, not a servile fear. It's, it's the fear of not wanting to disappoint. That's what filial fear is. It's not the fear of punishment. That's what servile fear is. So fear of the Lord is a filial fear. It's an attitude of reverence and awe uh, in the presence of God. It's not to be confused with the emotion of fear. Not at all. And then uh, lastly, in Romans 12, we have the gifts of prophecy. We, we Think of the Fatima seers. That's been approved by the church. Um, and what they told us, our Blessed Mother told them. Not, not, that the, the, not that their prophecies were needed. No, the prophecies that were needed were the prophets up to the time of the beginning of the New Testament, with John the Baptist being the last, huh? Uh, in, in one sense, Jesus himself being the last, if you, don't count, if you count the God-man, Jesus Christ, because he was a prophet, but, but the line of demarcation really is with John the Baptist. Uh, Jesus is a prophet, that is to say, in his sacred humanity, not in his divinity. He's God in his divinity. But the traditional understanding would be John the Baptist as far as uh, not counting Jesus and the cutoff of prophecy that was needed. So when we talk about the, the children of Fatima having the gift of prophecy, it's an, it's, an, it's an extra thing that was given to the church that wasn't necessarily needed like the biblical prophets. But there's, Romans 12 talks about prophecy, ministry, such as a server or a doer. 
a teacher, one who loves to research and communicate the truth, the exhorter, one who loves to encourage others uh, to a victorious life and a virtuous life. Uh, there's the contributor, meaning the giver or the almsgiver. Um, there's the administrator, the that is the facilitator or the leader. Um, think of Jack, I don't want to embarrass you here, uh, but think of Jack's gifts as the, the general manager of EWTN Global Catholic Radio, a, you know, a, a, a huge task on his shoulders, but he's a, he's a joyful man. He, he gives his all to his job, I have no doubt. And uh, Mother Angelica saw that gift in him, and he's been faithful to it ever since. And uh, I think that's a great thing. So the administrator is the facilitator, the leader. Uh, how about the one who shows mercy, the person of compassion, huh? One who shows compassion, love, and care. So, uh, you know, th then there's Peter 4 that also t in talks about the gift. So Peter 4, Romans 12, and um, uh, uh, Isaiah 11 talks about the traditional seven gifts of the Holy Spirit. Then we have the 12 fruits of the Holy Spirit, which many theological writers say double as... Um, uh, the, the charismatic gifts, what are they? The fruits from Galatians 5, through 23, charity, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, generosity, gentleness, faithfulness, modesty, self-control, and chastity. Now, those are more dispositions of the person's state of how they are personality-wise, temperament-wise, where the other ones, for example, the motivational gifts from Romans 12 are the actual doings, huh? the prophecy, the ministry, the teaching, the exhorter, the contributing, the administration, and the one who shows mercy. But they marry one another. The, the 12 fruits of the Holy Spirit and the seven gifts of the Holy Spirit uh, beautifully marry those motivational gifts, like, like the ones I just said, again, the ministry, the exhorter, the prophecy, the administrator, the teacher, etc. So, this, these three sections of the catechism that I gave you, and if you couldn't write them down because you were driving or whatever, please be sure to go back and listen to the podcast um, uh, and write them down because those are important sections of the universal catechism. And the catechism, of, of course, itself is a, um, is a compendium of Scripture, tradition, and the magisterium. You'll find a, in other words, you'll find a lot more Scripture passages defending those three sections of the Catechism. So, uh, great question on the gifts of the Holy Spirit, and a very apropos question, I might add, um, because of the Easter season that we're currently in, moving fastly towards Pentecost, where the Church then goes out after Pentecost Sunday, and, and where the Apostles went out after Pentecost, to spread the good news of Jesus Christ in a very particular way. So thank you so much for a great, a great question. Be sure to check out Dr. Ray Garendi with The Doctor Is In tomorrow afternoon and every afternoon, Monday through Friday, 1 p.m. Eastern Time, right here on EWTN Radio. Elizabeth is driving through the great state of Florida, and she fell off the line, but she wanted to know, can you explain more about what the previous caller said about us facing the aborted babies in heaven? Is that true? Well, the, the Church teaches that we have the virtue of hope and God's greatest attribute, His mercy— to to have the the virtue of hope that we will see the aborted in heaven who through no fault of their own were not able to be baptized huh remember the so-called limbo of of the unborn that weren't weren't able to be baptized for whatever reason aborted or not say a stillborn child uh, the church has never taught limbo de fide as an article of the faith that's latin for of the faith de fide limbo's never been taught de fide, it's, it's been offered as a possible theological conjecture of a certain reality of the Catholic Christian faith, but the Church has never taught it. And then around the Jubilee year 2000, uh, 
Cardinal Ratzinger, now Pope Emeritus Benedict XVI, uh, issued a statement where he says, the more and more we discover about the mercy of God, the less and less do we need limbo as a theological conjecture. And I'm, I'm presuming that's what the previous caller meant, was that we have that virtue of hope that we can one day see people in heaven, infants or not, who were not able to be baptized through whatever no fault of their own. And, and Vatican II teaches this in Lumen Gentium, for example, for, for the non-Christians who still pursue the truth or the non-Catholics who still pursue the truth as they know it or to the best of their ability through no fault of their own. This is part of the great general intercessions. I think there's 10 of them. The 10 great general intercessions at the Good Friday Passion Service where we pray for all these different categories of individuals at the, at the, the Lord's Passion Service traditionally held on Good Friday afternoon. We have ours every year here at the Fathers of Mercy at 3 o'clock, the hour of the Passion. Um, and so we pray for those, those 10 categories, for those who know Christ, for those who don't know him, uh, for Christians, for non-Christians, for the Jewish people, and the other categories, and so forth. Uh, even for the, there's even one for those who don't believe in God. Again, if we can have the virtue of hope for these individuals, then we can have the virtue of hope for those who are aborted. Uh, and I think, I'm presuming that's what the previous caller meant. So great, great question and seeking a, a great clarification on what the previous caller meant by that. Are we still there? I'm sorry. I turned myself off. Oh, that's okay. That's all right. <laughs> so if someone were younger than me and less married than me and trying to discern their vocation, what should they do? They should go to fathersofmercy.com. You know, you, you say like me, like me, like me. I presume you mean male, of course. <laughs> you, they want to go to <laughs> fathersofmercy.com and look up the Fathers of Mercy, and if they feel called to dynamic preaching apostolate uh, throughout the United States, Canada, and Australia primarily, and other countries, as, as we are called to go to, uh, to preach the week-long parish mission, retreats, devotions, conferences, etc., like the great St. Louis, Missouri Marian Conference I'll be preaching at in two weeks, uh, the 13th through the 15th, that Friday through Sunday of May. Uh, look at fathersofmercy.com and, and contact our vocation director, Father Ken Geraci. Would you leave us with a blessing? I certainly will, Jack. May the blessing of Almighty God, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit descend upon all of our Open Line Tuesday listeners and remain with each and every one of you this day and always, St. Joseph, Terror of Demons. Pray for us on behalf of our host, Father Wade Menezes, our producer, Michael McCall, call screener Matt Gubensky, and our social media maven, Mr. Jeff Burson. I'm Jack Williams. Thanks for tuning in to EWTN's Open Line Tuesday. Back at it tomorrow with Father Mitch on EWTN's Open Line Wednesday. Until then, God bless. Yeah.